and we're going to be continuing our Bible study tonight. Um, we started a series last week on Live Forgiven, and um, so we're gonna we're gonna get started. Let me go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness and for your mercy that you've given us, Lord God. We thank you for gathering us together today around your word. We thank you that we can be like Mary, that we chose the better part, and it's not going to be taken away from us, Lord God. We thank you for the precious things that you will share with us today. We thank you, Lord, that your word brings understanding to the simple, Lord God, that you could break it open and and plant it into our hearts so that it takes good root and it bears good fruit. And we thank you for that right now. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our cornerstone scripture for this series is Ephesians 4.32. And that says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. So God has forgiven us in Christ, and so we need to live that way. And it was so good, like what um, what Michelle was sharing about, you know, the man who who had a visitation in heaven and and it was he was um he didn't feel any regret or shame coming from the lord that's not god's attitude toward us he's fully embracing fully loving fully forgiven us and so it's just our own heart that condemns us and and tries to steal that truth from us so that's why we're learning today and so i was i was praying about this I think I turned my mouse off. Hello. Um, I was praying about this series, and I was really feeling like um, it's almost like a forgiveness school. You know, I was thinking about it being like healing school, the way um, where Pastor David used to teach at Rama, and he would teach a healing school. So people who were struggling with um, symptoms and diagnoses, they can come and sit under the word and let the word of God be medicine to their flesh. That's what the word of God can do for us. This is be like we dedicate this time to learn about forgiveness and let that word uproot wrong ideas and and implant the truth of God's word that sets us free. So um, so that's that's what we're going to do. We're doing an intensive because. Um, Remind ourselves how forgiven we are because guilt can become our native tongue if we're not careful. Um, our tradition affects how we approach God. So, and our experiences along our journey can also affect our reality. So sometimes we don't even realize when we're believing a lie. And so that's why, that's why we need God's word. Um, so when condemnation and toxic thinking is our default, we need to be renewed and renovated in our mind and see what the word says about our relationship to sin and our relationship to God. So um, 1 Corinthians 2.12 is that now we have received not the spirit of the world, which is a spirit of accusation and condemnation. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things that are freely given to us by God. So forgiveness is one of the things that are freely given to us by God. It's one part of our benefits package that we talked about. It's freely given to us by God, and we need to know how to receive it. And the Holy Spirit helps us to understand what we, so we can freely receive. So don't disqualify yourself where God has qualified you. Don't, don't kick yourself out where he has set a table for you. And don't treat, keep trying to earn the blessings of God that are freely given. That's not what we're about to do. So um, just as a recap, last week we talked about forgiveness, what forgiveness is. Um, 
It means to, to cover, to purge, to make atonement, make reconciliation. Um, it means to lift up and carry away. So when God forgives our sin, he lifts it from us and carries it away from us. Um, it pardons us. He, God shows mercy to us. He shows himself gentle to us. And he releases us from bondage and imprisonment as though the sin had never happened. That's what the forgiveness is. So forgiveness, we're forgiven of debts, transgressions, offenses, iniquity, and sin. But sin has become the word that kind of swallows it all up. That becomes the junk drawer for all of it. You know, we just call it sin. Sin. And so um, so that's our issue is sin. And um, sin has affected our mindset from the very beginning. And um, in spite of that, God has continued to seek relationship with us, and he does that through covenant. So today we're going to kind of talk about different kinds of covenants and the different covenants that are found in the word of God. And so um, so here we go. <laughs> a covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. That's how God connects with us is through covenant, um, where when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, and God sought them out, you know, they were the ones retreating from him. It wasn't him retreating from them. So just keep that in mind. So God is always seeking to have a relationship with his creation. So um, it's a binding agreement between two parties. Understanding the different covenants is vital for us to understand God's heart towards us and how he is communicating with us and how we should respond. Okay. So the first covenant is called a grant covenant. And it's also called a royal grant. And this is an unconditional covenant. It's a one-way agreement. And so this is when a greater and a lesser person come into covenant together. The greater takes on all the obligation and the responsibility, and the lesser just has to receive it. So it's a gift. It requires no action on the part of the beneficiary. It's an unconditional promise given from one party to another. So. Um, when when you're thinking about it, God giving a grant covenant, he initiates the promise and he said, I will do this and that. You know, he, he makes an initial promise of what he's going to do. And he's not saying, and in return, you're going to fork it over. You know, that's not what it's about. He says, this is what I'm going to do. The second kind of covenant is called a kinship covenant. And this is one that's between humans, two people together. It's um, It's a... It's also called a parity covenant, and this is a covenant made with equals. So they're made between two human beings. It's never made between us and God because we're not his equal. So he can't make that kind of covenant with us. But the covenant is normally entered into willingly with both parties. One would propose it. The other would accept it. It's usually sealed with a meal. Um, sometimes it's uh, sealed through walking through the bloody pieces of a sacrifice and where you swear to one another that you're not going to break the covenant between each other. These families are now bound together. Um, that's that's what we see. Um, sometimes it's a bloody handshake where they would, you know, in some cultures where they would cut the hand of each other and then they would grasp hands and then the their two bloods would mingle together in the palm of the hand that's that's a sign of covenant um so an example of this would be like a marriage covenant 
this is where the two parties are coming together and acting as one and seeing out for one another, and it's for the benefit of both parties. Um, another one from the word is Abraham and Abimelech. So there was a covenant made there, and it's in Genesis 21. Um, and another one is between David and Jonathan. They had a covenant of strong friendship, and where Jonathan looked out for David when Jonathan's father was trying to <laughs> raise David out of town and kill him, Jonathan looked out for David, even even though he was opposing his dad. He looked out for David, and then after Saul's family had died, David looked out for Jonathan's family with Mephibosheth. So there was this uh, joint covenant that worked together. The final covenant is called a vassal covenant, and this is where a greater and a lesser parties come into covenant based on the greater's greater one's ability to destroy the to destroy the lesser okay so instead of destruction the greater one says that um they offer you safety in exchange for your servitude so this is would be like where a king comes and conquers a nation and they say you know this is our land now and so if you want us to be friends you're going to pay me a tax you're going to pay me some kind of a um you know what is it called you're going to pay me taxes, a tribute. You're going to serve me. Your men are going to work in our armies. Your women are going to be a part of our harem. And it's a conditional promise. So if, if the city that's being conquered says, no, we don't want to have a part of it, then, then the king kills them. You know, this is, this is your choice. You can cooperate or you could die. You know, this is, that's the vassal covenant. And, um, so the, with the contrast of the kinship covenant, the kinship is uh, two equal people, and the vassal covenant is a higher and a, and a lesser. That's what it is. Um, acceptance was called obeying the covenant, and rejecting was called transgressing the covenant. So if that terminology sounds familiar. Um, this is... Um, I kind of, when I think of this, I think of like a mafia, <laughs> you know, it's like paying protection money, you know, that kind of thing. Now, in the Word of God, we find there are five major covenants. There's probably more than that, but they're more minor. The five major ones, first one is a Noahic covenant, and that's found in Genesis 9. And um, the Noahic covenant is an unconditional grant covenant. So this is where God made a covenant with the earth and everything in it, that it would not be destroyed again by flood. So he set a rainbow in the sky, and he promised himself that he would never destroy the earth like that. And the rainbow reminds God of the covenant. And so I think that's pretty cool. Um, he, he set it as an everlasting covenant, and now there's a rainbow that surrounds the throne of God. So he keeps that before his eyes all the time. Um, the next covenant um, we find is the Abrahamic covenant. And that's also an unconditional covenant. And you can see that in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. So this is the most central covenant in the biblical story, in that God promises Abraham land, descendants, and a blessing. And this promise that he made to Abraham would extend through him to all the peoples of the world. He said, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The Abrahamic covenant God puts Abraham to sleep <laughs> when he cuts the covenant. So this shows you that it's a grant covenant. He puts Abraham to sleep because this covenant is entered into in rest. You know, so he puts him to sleep and it was the, 
the furnace and the smoking fire that passed through the pieces of the of the sacrifice. So when they cut the covenant, they um, it wasn't Abraham passing through the pieces. It wasn't his bloody footprints. It was the fire and the smoking furnace, and that represents Jesus and the Father walking through the midst of that. That was where, who was making that covenant. The next covenant is the Mosaic covenant, and we find that in Exodus 19 and also Exodus 24. And um, this is the covenant that God established with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai after he led them out of Egyptian slavery. Now, God had desired to make a grant covenant with with the people of Israel the same way he had done in the past. Um, and he reminded them when he brought them out, he said, remember how I brought you out of Egypt? I carried you on eagle's wings. And he wanted to make a kingdom of priests. And. That's he wanted to have a um, a one-on-one relationship with each of them. He said, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. You're going to come to me, prepare to see me. But the children of Israel, they were just coming out of slavery. They had like a servant slavery mindset. And they said, we're not going to talk to God. We he, When Moses said, get ready, they said, no, Moses, you talk to him. And whatever he says, we are well able to do it. And so it seems like that's the turning point in in the biblical story because they, instead of receiving the gift that God was trying to get them in relationship with him, they said, we would prefer to perform for you. We would prefer you give us what to do and we will fully obey everything that you told me. And so, um, so this, they had, they added obligation of obedience and punishment for disobedience. So this is what happened. So the the covenant of Moses became a vassal covenant. And um, it, it added various conditional promises to the unconditional promises that he had made to Abraham. So Abraham had an unconditional covenant with God. And when God brought the children of Israel out, he did it because he had made a promise to Abraham. He had made a promise to Abraham to rescue his children and to give him this promised land. And so when it was time, he got him out of Egypt. Come on, let's go. I'm going to keep this promise. And they were like, no, no, we'll do it this way. We'll do it this other way. And God conceded, you know, really to, to what they asked for. So now when then you get all these chapters of, okay, here's the requirements now. This is if you want to deal with me this way. Here are the requirements. It became, if you do this, then I will do this. If you don't do this, this is what's going to happen to you. So it became that kind of covenant. Um, it's a conditional covenant defined by blessings and curses based on obedience and disobedience. And that's found in Deuteronomy 27 through 29. But if you look at 28, just as a as an example, Deuteronomy 28 is the one we're kind of really familiar with about, you know, blessed shall be you be in the field and the, you know, all that kind of thing. There are only 14 verses of blessing and there are 53 verses of curses that follow it. And when the curses were read, all the congregation said amen. Nobody said amen to the blessing. I mean, I, to me, I'm like, that's just, that's just so crazy to me. Why? But that's, that's our fallen state where we are not, we don't know how to receive the good that's coming to us. So this is why we need to be re- renewed. Um, and, and then Joshua 
reestablished that same covenant, and he fulfilled everything that Moses said for him to do. In Joshua 8, um, verses uh, 30 to 35, he renewed the covenant and rewrote the law on tablets of stone. The law itself is righteous. There's nothing wrong with the law, but it doesn't have the power to make us righteous. And our obedience does not have the power to make us righteous. It, it is, we are already, um, our righteousness is by faith because Abraham was justified by faith. And so when you bring the law in, there's, there's no element of faith involved. It's just obedience. And even Paul said that the law shuts up faith. So, so what's supposed to be working for us to receive the blessings of Abraham is now being snatched and stolen from us because we get into a performance, you know, obedience mindset. And it's nothing wrong with obeying the voice of God. I'm not trying to say that. But obedience comes out of a, of a heart that wants to please the Father. But it shouldn't be a requirement for God to bless you. If you have it in your mind that, that I'm going to miss out on something from God if I don't obey, obey, obey then you are going to be stuck in, in in like a rich young ruler kind of mindset. What can I do to inherit an eternal life? Well, how can you do something to inherit? Inherit comes to you when, <laughs> when the time has come. When somebody's passed away, you get an inheritance. When somebody dies, you get an inheritance. You don't have to earn that. It is a gift that's given to you, but we can get so stuck in there. And when we are like a rich realm ruler, said, so what must I do? And Jesus said, okay, fulfill the commandments. And you know them, do, do, do. He said, I did them all. And Jesus said, yeah, but one thing you lacked. There's always one thing you lack when you try to bring your own performance to the table. So the children of Israel mistakenly thought that their obedience was going to make them righteous. And they said that it was found in uh, Deuteronomy 6, verses 24 through 25, and um, where they said this would be our righteousness, our obedience would be our righteousness. But Paul, but Paul said that no one is made righteous by obedience to the law, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So basically it just shows you, it shows you your sinfulness. It shows you that you can't make it, you can't do it. Um, the next covenant is the Davidic covenant. This is the covenant, and it's found in 2 Samuel 7. And this is the covenant where God promises that a descendant of David would reign on the throne over God's people. And so what, what David was a man after God's heart. So I feel like, because there's a lot of things you read in the Psalms, and it sounds very new covenant the way he says it. But then there are other ways that he approaches God that's very old covenant and you know kill them all you know kind of you know conquering that whole mindset and um so he he has these glimpses where he taps into the new covenant i think it's not that he's entered in but he's he's seen something in god he's that he has i think the um he gets god's ear you know there's something about David that God just really likes and he shares his heart with him and shares himself with him because even if you think about there was a situation I forget what it was specifically but there was a situation where David um he had messed up and God gave him a choice he's how I can I can turn you over to the to the your enemies or I could do this to you or or you let me deal with with you and David said 
I'm, I'm putting it all on you because I know at your heart you're merciful. So whatever punishment you have for me, you're going to be more merciful than these other crazy people. You know, so that he knew something about God that his, um, that the Lord was good and his mercy endures forever. He got a hold of that and that part of it dictated a lot of his life. So, but he, he was, um, so when God made covenant with David, he made a covenant with him that his that his seed would be on the throne forever. And it wasn't conditional because even when David messed up, he didn't say, well, never mind, then we're going to find a different king. He stuck with that promise. You know, it was not um, dependent on on David's obedience. It was just a choice that God made. And um, so the covenant between David and the Lord, it became um a place of hope for the people of God for the king of the king you know the son of David that was going to come and rescue them and it was a it was a promise of the messiah is what it turned into um and then the final one obviously is the new covenant that's the that's the last one in in the word um and we see in Jeremiah 31 verses 31 to 34 is where God promises the new covenant and um and it's also it's cut in uh Luke twenty two, fourteen, where Jesus says, This is the new covenant in my blood. So this is the first phrase that um where Jeremiah uses the word new covenant. And he promised to uh rescue and renewal the exiled people of Babylon, and it becomes a promise of the coming day when God would come and make a covenant unlike the one that he made with Israel. So this was going to be completely different from the one from Moses. And this this coming day would bring forgiveness. It would bring uh, internal renewal of the heart and an intimate knowledge of God. And so, and then, as it says in the Last Supper, Jesus says, this is the cup of the new covenant. So everything you've been waiting for is right here. So if we try to live under the new covenant using old covenant methods, or old covenant mentality. Um, I was listening to Crepto Dollar. He said it's like trying to shop with an expired credit card. So this credit card is not working anymore. You're not going to get what you want, you know, and it's not going to work. <laughs> it's not going to work. And you're just going to get frustrated. So well, what does this all have to do with forgiveness? <laughs> it has a lot to do with it. If God is relating to us through covenant and we're looking at the terms of the covenant and we can see whether or not our sin affects the covenant. So if you look at Noah, he said, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, the live animals, all those that came with you off the ark, every living creature on the earth. I will establish my covenant. I establish, not I will. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood destroy the earth. So that's in Genesis 9, 9 through 11. So he's not saying, but if you mess up, I'm going to do it again, you know, and never mind. He's No, he's just giving it as a gift. And Abraham, um, in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, he says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those that bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's unconditional. 
Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness, and therefore faith is the foundation of the Abrahamic covenant. Even when Abraham lied about Sarah, his wife, twice, <laughs> God brought no punishment to Abraham. In fact, he brought he brought no rebuke to him. He told he actually got after the people that were coming after him, and he made him richer. You know, Abraham became richer after the lie. So, um, so the, the promise to bless him had nothing to do with his actions and behavior. That's the point. It's not that it was great that Abraham lied. <laughs> it was, it was that it didn't affect his covenant with God. So it was an unshakable covenant. Then we get to the law of Moses. Um, Romans 4.15 said that, that where there is no law, there is no transgression. There's no violation of the law. You can't break a law if it's not there. Um, so faith is, is, but faith is not required in the law of Moses. Um, just strict obedience to the command. The law implemented temporary remedies of atonement for sin and transgression. So now that you have sin, now you have to create a remedy. You didn't used to have to do this, but now that there's a law, you have to create a remedy for the law. And he set up the Levitical priesthood as a way of the, with prescribed sacrifices. So there are five um, offerings in the Levitical law. Um, three out of the five are voluntary. Um, and only the trespass offering and the sin offering are mandatory. So the first one is a, the burnt offering. That's a voluntary offering. That's a, a blood offering. And the animals are different. I'm not going to go through all that because I don't, I don't want to belabor it. But the point is um, the burnt offering, it was a sweet aroma to God. The purpose was to make atonement um, of the offerer and to gain acceptance for God. It's a, it was an offering that was completely burnt up in fire. Um, and that was in Leviticus 1. And then the next one is, and that's the most common of the offerings. And it didn't start with the Levitical law. People were doing that before, but it became part of the requirements when the law was established. And then there was a meal offering, which also was a voluntary offering. That one seemed to be most interactive. When I was reading about it, <laughs> actually, it was like it could be flour or it could be loaves of bread. It could be a griddle cake. It could be deep fried. <laughs> it could be all these different things. You, you were able to like bring yourself to the table. Um, the purpose of the grain offering was not atonement. It was for worship. It was you bring it just as a worship unto the Lord and an, an acknowledgement of God's provision um, and uh, for provision for the needs of the Israelites. And the only requirement is that it was presented without yeast and that it was seasoned with salt. So that was that. The peace offering is voluntary. The peace offering was a was a blood offering, and but it was a it was a fat offering. That was the fat that was given to God, and it was also shared with the priesthood. This was an offering shared with the priesthood, and um and it was also shared with the offerer. So it was the priest and God and you. You all come in and you have the feet and the the fat and the meat and the whole offering. You eat it together as a meal, and so this offering was a thanksgiving. It was a thanksgiving to God, a free will offering, and or after you completed a vow. If you've made a vow to the Lord and you've completed your vow, that's what this is. So this is, um, and then it gets into the sin offering. So the sin offering is mandatory, and that is a blood offering. Um, and it changes based on 
who the offerer is and the sin that's committed. And there are a lot of stipulations. A sin offering is an offering for a specific sin. Um, and this is the one that requires a confession of sin. You know, and so it's like when you realize that you're guilty, you confess the sin and then you bring the offering. This is this is the routine. So um, I was looking and it's like how often did I mean, how often do you oops, I messed up and have to go and do the offering and have to go and do the offering? How often do you have to go and do an offering for every time you you realize that you sin and realize you messed up? Um, the sin offering made a different use of blood. Did this have? This had blood at the, the foot of the altar, and it was also sprinkled on there. It was There was a lot to it. The trespass and the guilt offering, it, that was also mandatory. And this is um, if you, it was required if you violated God's holy law, like something that had to do with the holy things of God, um, then you required. And, and the trespass offering, you had to bring a ram. This is the only one that you brought a ram. And then you you had the ram was assessed, it was valued, you know, like appraised. So the ram was appraised, and then you had to pay whatever that, you know, you gave the ram and then added 20% on top of it. So you had to pay an extra 20% fee for the trespass offering. And so that was that was for the holy things of God. And then um, guilt offering was required uh, when you sin without knowing it. So if you made a mistake and you didn't realize it, and then now you realize that you messed up, now you've got to go back and, and you do this guilt offering. And it's also required for extortion or robbery. So if you if you cheated your neighbor, you did something wrong, you stole from them, this is the kind of offering that you would need to make. But the requirement is that you go back to the person. So if I stole something from Ruby, i got to go back. i gotta, I got to make restitution with Ruby first. And also give her 20% on top of what I took. So I took $100. I got to give you 20% on top of that. And then I can go and make this ram offering. So it, it reminded me of what the gospel said. If you have odd, if you have a brother that knows that you have ought, they, they have an ought with you, you go make it right with them first and then bring your offering. You know, it kind of brought that into perspective. I said, oh, that's what he was talking about. I mean, not that we wouldn't want to make peace anyway, but this was this was specifically talking about this trespass guilt offering. So these are the offerings that would be continually offered year round. And then you have the Day of Atonement. And um, the Yom Kippur, this is um, the annual annual feast where the high priest goes into the most holy place and it's it's one of the um it's the holiest day of the year for the children of israel this is um a place of cleansing the people and the place so because in the ritual there's you are actually cleansing the altar um that's used year round you're you're cleansing every part of the temple and um so aaron um, it's only the high priest that can go in. He has special clothes that he wears when he goes in. There are specific offerings that are made. Um, there's a bull that's sacrificed for his own sin. And then you have the goats that are, there's one that's a sacrifice for the people's sin. And then there's one where you confess the sins of the people onto the goat and you send them far away, which re- represents God separating our sins from us. So that's, this is all you know, the symbolism is beautiful, but 
think about having to do this every year, having to go through all this. And um, so he goes through the veil and does the smoke. So I'm, I'm going to peek through, see where I left off. And then the cleansing is made in the holy place. And the atone of the whole, the atonement of the holy place is done by himself. So he goes in, he and he atones for the holy place. Then he atones for the altar of the burnt offering. Then he mo- removes his linen garment, gets washed, he puts on his regular priestly clothes, and now he goes out and makes the burnt offerings of the rams. And then he makes the fat offering that um, for the people um, and for the remains uh, of the of the people. It says that. Um, those that had been rendered unclean for hand, handling the, the animals during the service, they have to go and wash themselves and make themselves ceremonially clean again to come back into the place. There was a lot to it, and it kind of it was almost like a spring cleaning, but it kept you cognizant of the sin and and all the time recognizing the reason why we're doing it is because we're sin we're sinful we're unclean. It, it's that reminder year by year of the sin is what the book of Hebrews said. And the people who were um, being atoned for, they, it was a time of fasting for them and there was also time of Sabbath. So, um, so there's all this ritual, but then you find in the word of God, as you go into it, God was not satisfied with all this, you know, even if they had the perfect obedience to it, their heart wasn't with him. And and um, if you look in Amos 5, um, verse 21 to 23, he said, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring up burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring the choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with your noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. So they had gotten to a place where where their heart they there I know there's another scripture that says the people draw close to me but their heart is far from me. They're they're not in it with me. Um another account is in Isaiah one verses eleven through fifteen. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord. I've had enough of your burnt offerings, of your rams, of the fat of the fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs and goats. When you appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing me your meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Your new moon, Sabbath, convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all of my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. And when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. That's pretty harsh. But that's that was this was not working for for either of them. This was this was burdensome to the people and it was burdensome to God. And God wasn't he wasn't accomplishing. You know, he wasn't connecting to his people the way he wanted to. And so he offers them a way to break the covenant. And if you look in uh, Zechariah 11, if you read through the whole chapter of Zechariah 11, is really good. Um, but so is, but this is like an illustrated sermon. And uh, Zechariah, you know, he w- he had two staffs. He had a staff called Beauty, 
and he had a staff called Bonds, and it represented the covenant. And he said, I took my staff beauty and I cut it in two that I might break the covenant which I had made with all the peoples. So it was so it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was a word of the Lord. Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So he's saying, I'm giving you a chance now. I'm ready to break this thing off. If it's if you want to break it with me, just pay me what you owe me and we'll be done with it. You name the price. And so they weighed out to him 30 pieces of silver. That sounds familiar. Yes. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. That princely price they paid, they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and I threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Then I cut my, uh, then I cut into the other staff bonds that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. So we, we look at this and this looks exactly like the betrayal of, of Jesus. When, um, Judas came and he betrayed and he, when Judas came to the chief priest and says, what will you give me? You know, and I'll bring him to you. And we don't know really necessarily. He wasn't trying to undercut Jesus. He was just, I think he was trying to just get him in the same room and say, I think, you know, if you guys actually get a chance to listen to him, y'all, we, we get along, you would like him like I do, you know. So I think he was, what do you, what will you do? And so they gave him 30 pieces of silver. He said, okay, we'll, we'll get it done. And so they did the 30 pieces of silver. Of course, Jesus was turned over to them. He was arrested. When Judas found out, he said, what are you doing? I don't want anything to do with this. I didn't want him to die. And so he gave, he, and they, he threw the 30 pieces of silver back into the house of the Lord. And they, they used it to buy the potter's field. That's this right here. That's the fulfillment of this. And this is where the covenant between the children of Israel and God was broken. The cyanic, the Mosaic covenant was broken at that point. And then of course, Jesus was crucified and the law was on the cross with him. So we'll talk about that when we talk about the new covenant. But um, in the midst of all this, and God makes a way out for the children of Israel to break this covenant, he offers a solution. He said, I'm going to make a new covenant. So, yay, we're into the good news. Because I'll tell you, I was studying this. I was like, my head is getting tired. Just look at <laughs> all these sacrifices and blood and make sure you get this one right and this one over here. It's like, man, you know, but but he's made a way out for us. He has a better way. It's a new and a living way. This That way was old and dead. This is new and living. So in Isaiah 54, he tells the people in verse 4, it says, fear not, you will not be ashamed. Do not be, or you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For the maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit like a wife of youth that was cast off, says your God. So it's like Israel was like a divorced woman. And so he said, for a moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In 
In overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love and compassion, everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, for I am the Lord your Redeemer. So he says, he said, I'm going to bring you back with this everlasting kindness, this everlasting love. Verse 9 says, this is the days of Noah to me. As I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, said the Lord who has compassion on you. This is the new covenant. This is the covenant that won't be removed. He said, I will no longer be angry with you. I will no longer rebuke you. In Jeremiah 31, this is where he promises the new covenant. He calls it a new covenant. He said, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. They, I will be their God and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. So in, in where he says no more, that's a double emphasis. He, it's like, no way, Ray. <laughs> it's like, there is no way, never, ever, never will I remember your sins anymore. It's a double emphasis there. He says, you're, you're, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. That is the, that is the mark of the new covenant. And so it's just, it's really remarkable to me after, after all these things, God still sends a redeemer. God still finds a way to get a hold of his people. So this is a game changer. And, um, the new covenant takes care of the sin issue between God and us forever. So this is, this is where we're going to land right now. And next week we'll talk about the new covenant cut in Jesus blood and that blood has brought us everlasting righteousness. And we are free from all condemnation because of what Jesus has done. Amen. Amen. Well, Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for understanding, Father God. Bring revelation to us of what we need um, and bring light to dark areas in our heart, Father, those things that we have set aside and we haven't looked into, Lord God. I just thank you for courage and boldness to look into those things, those things that you put on the inside of us. Thank you for the treasure that you have placed in our earthen vessels. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for continuing to teach us this week, Father God. I thank you for continuing continuing to open up your word to us and let us see the things that we need to see. And we bless you and we praise you in Jesus name. Amen.